There's certain readings uh, you get throughout the course of the church year, which are the elbow readings. And, uh, you know, one of them is uh, children should obey their parents. The second reading we get today is about wives must be subordinate to their husbands and everything. And most men probably think, ah, no, I better not. <laughs> Father Frank said last night, I guess, uh, he said, I'd preach on that second reading, but I bruise easily. <laughs> Somebody came up to Chris afterward and said, uh, let's see if I get it right, where'd Chris go? He left. He always leaves during my homilies. I think it's, oh, he's in the back. Um, Somebody came up at, afterward and he said, no, I got the answer to that. It's, it's really easy. I've been married a long, long time. When I'm wrong, I humbly admit that I'm wrong. And when she's wrong, I humbly admit that I'm wrong. <laughs> the, uh, this reading, I'm just going to say a little bit on this, and then I, I really want to move the, to the gospel. But, but the, the key to understanding this reading is that Paul is trying to explain the relationship between Christ and his church. Jesus and the Father, Jesus is subordinate to the Father in all things, but co-equal. He's subordinate to the Father in all things, but then he also loves his church like his own body. And so Paul is trying to find a metaphor that people will understand. And the reality is that marriage was like that at the time. It was like that at the time. And actually for, for Paul to say to husbands, love your wives as your own body was, was raising the bar to a significant degree. So really that reading shouldn't give us too much concern about marital relations as they exist today. It's similar to Jesus using a metaphor about wheat or sheep or any number of other things that he might use, parables or metaphors, to help those people at the time get it. And so the people then would say, oh yeah, that's how my marriage is, maybe. And so I get it. That's how it's supposed to be. The point of that is how Jesus subordinates himself to the Father's will and how he loves his people, the church, so much that he gives his very self. He gives his body to the church. I uh, just two weeks ago went and got drilled by the dentist, two different cavities, and um, I was thinking, as a new dentist, um, and I was thinking, I don't know this guy at all, as he's pulling out the needle, and I'm thinking, I don't know this guy, I don't know what grades he got, I don't know, he looks pretty young, how many times has he done this? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Maybe he went to an online dental school, you know? Not that online education isn't great, but for dentistry, I, maybe it wouldn't be so good. Um, no practical application in the field. Um, but what's interesting is that, you know, you go to the dentist, never seen the guy before, and you just trust him to do it. Like, you just give your trust over. And, you, and we do the same thing to, you know, pretty much any, any physician or doctor. You go to the emergency room or you go to, you know, besides going to your own practitioner, you go to somebody new and you just assume they know what they're doing as if every doctor got the same grades. 
and we're just as good as everyone else. And of course they're not, we know that. No offense to any of the doctors. I know all the doctors here got A's, but at the other churches, are they, that's where the ones who got C's go. Um, you know, it's the same thing with priests, you know. I mean, it's the same thing with all of us, you know. And so the whole question of who do I trust and why do I trust is an interesting question. Um, and of course, we can be very cynical and not trust anyone, or I think we can be generally uh, somewhat discerning until somebody earns our trust, earns our trust. Now, when you get to the gospel, right, we're finishing up the bread of life discourse. And I think the question at hand is, did Jesus know what he was saying, and did the people listening know what he was saying? Was Jesus speaking in a metaphor, like Paul in the first or second reading, or was he speaking literally? And how did the people receive it? Did they receive it like a metaphor, or did they receive it literally? And so the Lord starts off, right? I'm the living bread that comes down from heaven, and the bread that I will give is my flesh. He says flesh. Well, that could be a metaphor, right? Well, then we're told, though, that the Jews quarreled. They started fighting. They did not misunderstand him. They did not say, oh, he must mean it figuratively, because they say, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They understood him to be literal. Now, Jesus knows they're murmuring. He's going to clear that up, right? I mean, that's a pretty big misunderstanding. If they think he's, you know, if they, if they think he means literally flesh, and he doesn't mean literally flesh, he's probably going to clear that up. Well, he does clear it up by reasserting that he meant flesh. He says it, I think, five times. Let's see. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you don't have life within you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. My flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in, I and it, in me and I in him. The one who feeds on me will have life because of me. Five times. Reasserting. Literally reasserting. Well, literally reasserting, but reasserting, reasserting literally that he meant flesh and blood. Then he says, this is the bread that came down from heaven. My flesh, my blood. So then the, the question is, well, how did they understand it? Well, we're told many of his disciples were listening. This saying is hard. Who can accept it? They didn't say, oh, he means a metaphor. No. They clearly understood. He meant literally. Who can accept it? Jesus, again, has a chance to back down and say, no, it's a metaphor. But he doesn't. Does this shock you? Wait until you see my resurrection. Wait until you see the Lord in glory. Wait until you see me ascending to where I was before. And then we're told, as a result of this, many of his disciples returned to their former way of life. He had a multitude. Remember when the Bread of Life started, Bread of Life discourse started, he had the multitude. He fed the multitude, loaves and fish. Then they follow him. He's still got a multitude. They won't leave him alone. 
So he keeps teaching. And he gets to this point where he speaks of his flesh and blood. Now, as a preacher, you don't want to lose people. I promise you that's true. You don't, <laughs> you don't want people fleeing from your preaching. And if they are, you, you know, you want to say, I must be doing something wrong. Now, today's lack of attendance should not be an example of that, given that we're in the midst of a pandemic. <laughs> but there's no way that Jesus is going to want all these people to leave. Why would he want that? He wants everyone to come to the Father. This teaching was so essential that he was willing to allow them to walk away. He was not going to back down. And then he's left with 12. He started with thousands. He's left with the 12. And he doesn't say you have to stay. He asks, do you want to leave too? In other words, I get it. This is a hard teaching. Do you want to go? But you know, they knew him. He had earned their trust. They had given him not just trust, but truly faith. They had given them, given him their hearts. And so Peter says, where are we going to go? We know you're, you're the one who gives us the words of eternal life. We, we have become convinced that you are the, the Holy One of God. There's nowhere else to go. We don't understand what in the world you're talking about. But they will. But in that moment, they probably don't really understand it. But they know him. And they trust him. And when on that night before he died, he takes the bread and raises the bread and says, this is my body. They go, oh, got it. And then at the end with the wine, this is my blood. At that moment, it all makes sense. As he ties together the the consuming of his flesh and blood with the sacrificial lamb from Passover, that he is the new lamb, makes perfect sense. The lamb which saved the people in Egypt, he is the new lamb which will save his church and save his people. And that new lamb is consumed sacramentally through the body and blood of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. This most precious gift that we have. The entire reason we're really Catholic the only reason I'm a priest. It's the greatest thing I ever have done and will ever do, is confect the Eucharist. And of course, it's Jesus Christ doing it through me. This is our precious gift. Who can understand it? Who can figure out how it works? It doesn't matter if we trust the one who said it. It doesn't matter how. It doesn't need explanation. If Jesus is God, and he is, then what he says is true. And what he has given us in the Eucharist is himself to transform us and to give us strength on our journey. Please stand. <clears throat>